Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Keys with a man! Oh, he's gone to give him out, and then he's rubbed his nose. Rubbed his nose. Yeah. What about to McCullum? Shane? I'm going to try to shake the sweet one after that first one. I'm going to try and slide one in there. Fast. Woo! Yeah! Well, you well, call it. Let's run out. Let's run out. Let's come on, Sam. Yeah. Let's head on no, to the sky. You'll never see that again. Yeah, you think you've seen it all, don't you? Hello and welcome to the SC Playbook Podcast, episode one of the Big Bash 13 preseason for 2023-2024. Proudly brought to you by our long-term sponsors, Pat and George from Mortgage Choice SCW. I'm your host, Tim Williams. Boy, am I excited for the first episode of the season. Our off-season recruitment has been in absolute overdrive. We've had the spy out there. He's been scouting the talent pool for off-contract stars to join the Playbook team. Dead set, the biggest signing Coming on board to SC Playbook since AB to Billy's joining the Heat a few years back. Could be bigger. Could be bigger. The bloke I'm about to announce and my uh, my very special guest on the podcast today, he's the reigning back-to-back Supercoach Big Bass champion. Not just that, but information I found out the other day. He's a man who's gone top 100 in Supercoach Big Bash four years on the trot. Andrew Langley, welcome to SC Playbook team for, for BBL 13, mate. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Looks like I've got a big challenge ahead of me this year if I'm going to keep it going. Mate, you don't have a challenge at all. You've got that many runs on the board that you can come out 80,000 and everyone will be like, yeah, it happens, a bit of luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, I like, um, I like just pinching the win in that last last day usually. That's my style. Mate, you, there's uh, there's no fun in going start to finish. You've got to make a bit of fun for the fans out there that pay to, pay to watch it all unfold. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, but my favourite thing about... You know, not only back to back, but when I I saw or we spoke that you'd gone top one hundred four years on the trot. You know, everyone knows that there's a lot of luck involved in supercoach and fancy sport of any form. But by doing that four years on the trot, it's also shown that there is a hell of a lot more out there than luck, and there's a lot of strategy involved in it and tactics and nows that get you to to where you've got to. And mate, it's just yourself and I today to start the season. I wanted to just basically start off. Um, essentially with a Q&A with, with, with us two rather than the normal playbook set up where we'll have three people on a panel. We'll talk about all things about that week or the um, coming up in for round one, all those sorts of things. But 
I just wanted to pick your brain, which we're going to do in this episode. So very, very excited about it. No, I'm looking forward to it. Pick away. Yeah, as for, for my credentials, look, I probably should have read them out before I read out Andrew's because it really, really drops my standards down a fair bit, but not too, too bad. I finished 271st uh, in Supercoach BBL last year and 43rd in the year prior. Uh, Andrew, before we get stuck into it, you are a part of the SC Playbook team this season. I'm sure you'll be hot property across the, the Supercoach landscape this summer. Uh, we're very excited to have you on board. Tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you from, mate? Family? Tell us a bit. Um, yeah, I live just outside of Melbourne. I'm in country Victoria. I'm a father. I have two kids, two girls that keep me, well, what, they're 17 and 20 now, so you can imagine a couple of teenage girls um, keep me under control. Uh, <laughs> I love love my sport, always have loved my sport, grew up that way. I think I first played, I remember first playing fantasy sport Oh, probably way back in the 1990s, you used to have to pick a team and you used to have to ring up on the telephone and, and get the results. It was for the footy and how your players went. Um, so, they yeah, used to have all the in the paper back in the day as well, didn't they? That might have been before yeah. your time. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm going back 30 years probably. Mm. Yeah, no, it was and – and I remember a Cricket World Cup going on when I was at uni and there was a few of us – invented our own little fantasy game as we're watching the games unfold to score points. So we're doing it before it was even a thing. So it's always been been there, I guess, that that um, liking the numbers side of things. But I think it gives an interest when you watch the sport. You know, you yeah. have your teams and you watch your teams and you support them. That's a bit different. But when you're, when you're a neutral viewer, it's nice to be able to cheer on a couple of players. Mm. It's it's the best, mate. It's uh, when people ask me, and I get this question all the time: What do you love about fancy sport? What does it for you? And I can explain this in, in about any different uh, sporting code, but I suppose in in big bash terms, let's say it, it's it's the last round of the the regular season, and the renegades and the strikers are last and second last on the table. It's an absolute nothing game. It's Sunday night about seven o'clock. No one has any interest in watching it because there's nothing on the line. But all of a sudden, you're an owner of Mark Steckity in your team, or you've got Aaron <laughs> in your team, or Cameron Boyce, and all of a sudden that fixture means as much as the final, possibly more because they don't do Supercoach finals. Uh, it's the absolute best, mate. So you sound like you're an absolute OG original of the game. Uh, as far as SC Playbook goes, as I mentioned, the first podcast of the preseason. Throughout the preseason, we'll be talking talking about all sort of things: the fixture analysis, the players to target and avoid, squad previews. All of that. We do have the full team back on deck for the upcoming season. Maxi Bride and Fish, Tom O'Aitken, uh, the champ from a couple of years back, the spies back on deck. We've got a stack of articles already live at scplaybook.com.au. A lot of those things I just mentioned, the fixture analysis, the availability yarn, lets you know when the players are entering and leaving the tournament. The first of our team analysis pieces, Andrew's tips are up on site, the tips to become a champion, which we delve into this podcast. Uh, the podcast will roll out weekly from now until the end of the BBL in mid-January. Uh, also, some exciting expansion plans to announce incoming weeks involving the wider sort of cricket community, not just uh, all those legends out there that do play Supercoach, which we've sort of stuck to in the past. We're going to hit more general cricket going forward. Uh, guys, jump onto our social media channels as well. Give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, now known as X, and TikTok, follow SC Playbook Cricket if you aren't already. Late last season, we separated our NRL and our cricketing channels, so um, a bit less there, so looking to build those back up again. Now, let's get stuck into the good stuff. 
And I'm going to start, Andrew, with the first of your two titles back in BBL 11. Can you run us through that final round or the final few rounds, the emotions that went through you when you got that first title and 25K in the bank? Yeah, it was certainly unexpected. I can say that. I remember, um, you're testing my memory now, but um, I remember going into that last round, I was 363 points behind. I was in 11th. And... I think that was, we had the COVID going on, so we had five trades around. And I thought my only hope was, I remember the Sydney Sixers were on a double and everyone had their teams full of Sydney Sixers. And I remember thinking, my only hope here is I'm going to bet against Sydney Sixers mm. and I'll pick players on the other doubles. And then, you know, the rest is history. It just it felt like game after game, everything was going my way. I bought in Cameron Boyce that week. He got a double hat-trick. Um, I, I was also one of the 3% Cameron Boyce owners, so salute to Boise. <laughs> and I think in that same game, I had, um, I think Richardson was a laid out, and I so I decided to bring in, um, oh, I forgot his name, uh, Laylor, was it? Um, mm. As a laid in thinking he'll get the death overs, and he ended up getting a couple of wickets. And I think my only sixes player, I had Kerr, and he got three or four wickets in his last game, and it just felt everything was was rolling along and, and that was the, the week Maxwell went absolutely ridiculous in his innings in the final final game and and it came down to I know I had um Matty Wade as captain as a bit of a just as a bit of a pod captain because I was so far behind and everyone else had McDermott and the very last game the, the Hurricanes were batting and they were actually in together and I knew there was nothing in it in the lead and and Wade went out really cheaply, and I thought, oh, no, I've just got the lead. I've lost it. And then a few balls later, McDermott went out and, you know, I got I got told by someone else, no, we know how the other teams are looking. You're, you're fine. You've snuck home. And I won by 23 points in the end. So um, to say I was excited and, you know, naturally, like everyone else, you play these things, but you never expect to win. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a shock, but it was had me on a bit of a high, so it was great. Remarkable comeback. And... I believe the Sixers went on to win it that year. So by that point, I can't remember what they finished on the regular season table, but they were obviously hot property. And you've just said, no, nah, stuff, I'm potting them all. Yeah, no, I had one. I had Hayden Kerr because he yeah. was already in my team and I didn't bring any others in. So, um, you know, all the big guns weren't in my team and they all failed. Like it was – they got they got pumped, I think. They had a double in the first game. They were shocking. I need to go back and look and, and they just – yeah – for whatever reason, I think Abbott was a really popular captain that round for most people, and I don't think he got a wicket in both games, or he might have won. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Mate, so a just, year luck. Yeah, but you need luck, don't you? You just it all yeah, you, do like, you do need a bit of luck, but you also create your own luck, so credit to you. And a year later, you're sitting on this very podcast just about to the day, and there was two rounds to go, and I think you were sitting in about 12th from memory. And you said to me that you were no chance of winning it. I said you were every chance. I'd seen your team. And, and I remember vaguely from that round that you'd planned just a bit better than the average person for that final round, final turns in particular. And mm-hmm. tell us about how that ended up playing out because I think there's a, a bit of a theme here that you're, you're the Chautauqua of Big Bash Supercoach. Uh, I think um... – when I was on that podcast, it was the big one was I had Matty Renshaw before anyone had him, and he went. Yeah. I was able to loop him on field and get a get a big score from him that most people looped down. I think it put me up to second. 
But um, the final round last year wasn't quite the same. I think when I went into it, I was in third, but I was only about oh, 20 or 30 points off first. It was pretty close. So um, one, I didn't have to go stupid like I did the year before to try and catch up. I tried to make all the sensible choices. I think one of the biggest things I decided was the two teams ahead of me um, had one of the um, – I bet against, I think, one of the Hobart openers. I think I went for Crawley, and um, I'm trying to think who who else would, would have opened with Crawley. Crawley might have batted three. McDermott? No, not McDermott. Who else was there? Darcy Short. He batted about six no. most of the time, didn't he? No. Oh, I've got wasn't, wasn't your boy Wade again? No, 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 no. It was a similar play to Crawley. And it's once again, it's just your betting. Caleb Jewell. Jewell. The man of Jewell. Yeah. Yeah, Jewel, and he he didn't do well in the last round, and Crawley went well, and mm. um, you know that ended up being the difference in the end. And I guess that's where, even the year before, I took these little punts in the final round, but everyone I bet against, I bet against with a similar player, so I wasn't trying to have, hope that a number six batsman was going to suddenly come out and blast a hundred because that really happens. I was, yeah, you know, I was betting against Jewel, who was an opener with another opener, um, and just hope that the chips fall my way and. Yep, the rest is history. We got there. But um, it was a hard one because I, I knew the guy that was leading. So part of oh, me was yeah. he'd been leading for about five or six weeks and part of me was just hoping that he'd hold on and, you know, he deserved the win. But um, we could see each other's team, so we knew exactly what each other were doing. But um, yeah. but it all comes down to that planning, you know. I, I definitely like to plan the fixture and I'll do that. I haven't done this year's yet, but that's one of the first things I'll do is I'll sit down and I'll nut out the fixture and... That's how I work out my plan of attack. I might I tend to pick teams before I pick players. So I go, right, I want I want this many players from this team on this round and I'll I'll then work towards that and who those players should be. And just to add another string to your bow, I don't know if it was wedged in between the two titles. I think it was after your second title. Mate, you went out and won an IPL, an Indian Premier League fantasy competition. That that was this year, yeah. So <laughs> I haven't got a bad record in that either because that was my third IPL in the row of finishing top 10. So I went 10th, 9th, and then I won that this year. So, um, yeah. But that's, you know, no nowhere near as many people playing that. So that's not as big a deal as winning the BBL. But that was a nice little win. Unbelievable, mate. We will be picking your brain uh, about how you've done. So I cannot wait for this podcast. Firstly, though, guys. Uh, for the new season, the SC Playbook subscription packages are available once again. The full package, you may already have full access to it. Uh, if you have access to that uh, from earlier from the NRL season or the AFL season, covering that content as well, of course. If you are interested in subscribing, though, you can do so via the menu at scplaybook.com. Dot au where you will find all of our content so far. What does it get you? It gets you access to a stack of additional premium articles throughout the preseason and every round of the Big Bash season. Access to our WhatsApp group that's absolutely popped off over the last 12 months. We have the SC Playbook community all involved in that, discussing trades, tactics, all of the rest. A contributor-only chat where the, the Playbook team, myself, Andrew, Spy, Maxie and Co. will all be revealing our trades, skippers, tactics between ourselves. There'll be weeks where obviously there's only two or three of us on the podcast. So anyone who's not on it can drop their trade in there. A late mail thread we brought into the NRL season this year. We'll be dropping all the team news for the Big Bash season to make life a little bit easier for you. More threads to come as well as we move through that. If you have already subscribed to that and you've got the full package, 
Email supercoachplaybook at gmail.com. Supercoach, all being one word. Let us know the email that you use to subscribe. From there, we can check you're still active and send you the link to the WhatsApp group. Otherwise, you'll get that link when you do subscribe to SC Playbook. It also gives you access to win the major prize in our unlimited group, which is $500 for the top-ranked subscriber to knock off the SC Playbook team. Plenty more to come in that subscription offering as well. Now, Andrew, let's get stuck into the nitty-gritty, mate. Teach us to be a Supercoach BBL (laughs) champion. Firstly... I will uh, preface this by saying that Andrew firstly doesn't know any of the questions I'm about to ask him, and there's some deep stuff because I'm very, very intrigued. Uh, and they will be quite general general answers in the sense that everything is applied to different circumstances in Big Bash. So um, take each of them with a bit of a grain of salt. But I'm going to, to pick apart a bit of the article that you wrote on the website as well for us yesterday, mate. And I'll start with with the draw. How important is playing the draw? We know uh, that, you know, following teams with the doubles and I think historically probably the first ever triple game week to start this season in, in the Brisbane Heat, uh, buys, all these sorts of things, are you all in on the draw? And more importantly, my more specific question is around double game weeks and a question that I ask myself time and time again, do you go all in on teams with the double game week or do you think they might be a little bit overrated? And what I mean by this for any sort of first-time Supercoach players out there, which you'll see once you look at the website and listen to this podcast at the preseason, but uh, unlike a lot of other codes, there will be teams like, say, a Sydney Sixers who will have two games within one round. Uh, on that same round, there might be a team on the bye. So in that instance, a player like Sean Abbott for the Sydney Sixers, we have two totals to his score, uh, becoming a very valuable player. So to bring that all together, sorry, mate, how important are double game weeks? Are you all in on them, or do you think people look a little bit too much into them and find themselves bypassing some of their biggest guns in Supercoach? Um, no, I'm all in. I definitely go all in on the double game week. Um, I, I just think it's we get an advantage of a second score involvement for a player, and we'd be silly mm. not to look at it. However, I will. I'll, I'll usually draft up. What if I go for the maximum double game weeks? And then I might compare a player. So I might then look at it and say, oh, I've got a Maxwell. He's got such a good role. He's likely to score high. Is that better than having, you know, whoever it might be on the, on the, that's a double game week that might, you know, might get a bowl if he's lucky and bat low? I'm probably better off having Maxwell. But on the whole, I'm all in. I'll, the fixture to me is the most important thing to winning. Winning the winning the game, I think there's two elements to how the fixture works. One's the double game week, so you can assess where they are and who you want in your team. But the buys can't be dismissed either because those buy players help looping. And I'm a big, big um, person in creating loops, either for vice captain scores or bringing scores off the bench, or trying to compare a couple of players. So you put them on the bench and then take the better score. Um, so the fixture to me is is the be-all and end-all and stuff. Mm. And if you can nail your players around the fixture, you're going to do all right, I think. Yeah, and another thing, that there'll be a spy, uh, spy, an article coming out from the Supercoach Spy shortly, Uh, again, more so for the beginners to Supercoach out there. The more experienced Supercoach players will know all about it. But uh, using loopholes in Supercoach Big Bash are imperative to success, and they're things that... 
Uh, I think they're they're a bit more relevant in Supercoach AFL, not as much NRL. They're still relevant, don't get me wrong, but each and every round, uh, it sounds like it's a bit tricky, but they are, are very important. And we'll explain these a little bit more, but essentially things like you basically get two cracks at getting a captain right each week in Supercoach Big Bash, along with a few other things. So we will make sure we've clarified exactly what that means throughout the preseason. And I know the spy will do a great job in his article. Andrew, one thing in your article on the website at the moment that stood out to me around double game weeks, you mentioned, and this is getting a little bit technical, but and there's no more relevant time to talk about this than this week because preseason, I should say, round one, there's remarkably five teams that play multiple games. Four of them are on the double game week and then the Brisbane Heat, as I mentioned, on the triple game week. Now, one thing that stood out to me in your article was saying that you do not like to pick players who are playing against each other in a double game week because, you know, if there's two teams on a double game week and on that double game week, both games might be against each other. Hopefully that doesn't sound too confusing, but because not everyone can succeed, people are bound to fail. So if there are numerous teams on the double game week, as we're seeing in round one this season, you will do your best to try and get them when they're not playing against each other. Yeah, so that's where I think it's important to try and look at the whole season's fixtures and mm. work out what is, and often one of the things I'll work out, and people who know me know I work out, is what's the maximum number of double game weeks we can have in our team for the whole year because we only get three trades a week. So we can't have double, you know, we can't have 11 double game week players every week. The trades don't let us do that. And then once I've worked that out, I can work out what rounds I might want more double game week players compared to others because. Like you said, if two teams are on the double and you've got all 11 players at those two teams and they play each other, that means you've got 11 players in one match. Odds are mm. a number of those players are not going to score well just because they won't. <laughs> Every yeah. week, you know, you get a couple of scores above 50 and they drop, well, you might get 100 and then they, they drop away quite significantly. So then I'll target the weeks where the two teams aren't playing each other. So there's more chance you've got less players playing, more chance you won't get those low bottom scores, I guess, is what I'm trying to avoid. It's not about the top scores. It's about yeah. avoiding and, the bottom scores. And, and, mate, that's one thing I've certainly been guilty of in the past is I'll sit there and go, beauty, I've got a bunch for this double game week. The round starts and you go, I've got eight players in one game. Like they can't all hit 50 and they can't all take three wickets. And you go, it's a little bit counterproductive, isn't it? So it's certainly one that I've noted going into this one. The other thing in your article that you were quite heavy on mentioning and speaking about was remaining flexible throughout not just the season, but each round of Supercoach and throughout the duration of the round. Can you expand on this for us, please? Yeah, so I think it's pretty important. It's a volatile game. So I think we've got to be prepared to change direction, to change our plans, do what we can to mm. take advantage of any situation unfolding. So I'll usually try and – it doesn't always happen because of the way the draw is, but if I can in a round, I'll try and – lean towards decisions that let me make my decisions as late as possible in the round. So if I'm weighing up two players, which player is playing second? I'll probably more likely to bring him in my team because if something changes, I can change that trade plan. As you know, I could have a, a nobody sitting on my bench and he just pulls out his 100 score from nowhere. Well, suddenly I want that. Yeah. Or, or a player, you know, that's popular that I don't have has happened to fail. So then I might think, hang on, I might actually go for a bit of a higher risk player here because I'm not going to lose anything because most people have got this player that didn't score well. Here's my chance to, if I don't score well, so be it, but here's my chance to get a break. So anything that can help me with that 
I, I, I try and do. So um, that's about if, if I've got players on the buy, I'll always loop players off the bench. You never know. If it's a popular player, I'll put a really popular high-averaging player on the bench to loop because mm. you never know. If he has that first ball duck and doesn't get a bowl or something, I could get a big advantage on those around me because I tried to do something a bit different. So I just it's helped me. I'm sure it, sometimes it probably undoes the good work. <laughs> I'm too clever for my own good. But um, I, I just feel the more flexible you are, the more chance you've got of, I guess, taking advantage of situations. Yeah, and a great example of that, again, this is touching on the loopholing that we'll expand on uh, for those sort of first, and it's not even first-time Supercoach players, to be honest. There's people who have played for years who I'm still explaining loopholes to, so if you're listening out there and you're a bit confused, you're absolutely not alone, so don't don't feel uh, down about that one. But it might, an example might be, you know, you've got uh, bench players for each position, bowling, batting, wicket-keeping. You might have someone like Chris Lynn who could go massive, but if he gets out first ball and he gets a dark, you know, barring taking a catch, he's not bowling. He's probably not getting any points for you. So if he's playing one of the, say, first or second game of the round and he gets out early, you have him on the bench. You have an auto-emergency positioning on him. And if he goes terribly, no worries. You leave your regular player in your starting team. If he goes big and gets 100 runs, 100 points, whatever it might be, you then put a non-active player in your starting team in that batting position and Linny comes straight in. So that's where that comes in. And as I said, we'll touch on a lot more about that going forward. Made another point of your article you spoke about. It was the importance of chasing team value. We know this is a key element to success in all, all fancy sport games. I would like to break it down a little bit into probably more the earlier stage of the season firstly. And you mentioned about how important break-evens are and chasing that cash. My question, I suppose, is, Let's break it down to the first five or six rounds. We know this season's a bit more of a shortened season, down to nine rounds, down from about 12 or 13 last season. Let's say in the first four to five rounds, a player's out there, they've got a negative 40-odd break-even. They're about to make a ton of cash for walking onto the field, regardless of performance. But there's also a bloke like Sean Abbott, who isn't in your team, and he's got a great match-up. He's just been promoted to number four in the order in some beautiful universe. Imagine that. <laughs> Is it always... To you early on in Supercoach about chasing that cash, or are there ever times where you go, "No, this bloke could go big. I want him in my team over that cash." It's a bit of both, and I think that's when you're going with your gut. Um, definitely, uh, when weighing up early on, the first five rounds, I usually try and get my usual goal is two point five million team value in five rounds. Okay, um, and so I'll I'll tend to make decisions based around that. Um, Sort of the opposite to what you said before. I might have a, a Sean Abbott who's going well, but just the way it's going, you might have a break even at two hundred, and I might go, "No, nah, I'm going to get rid of him and bring in a player with a low break even and take a big risk that way and and get a good player out of my team." But that's where you've got to be careful. The person you're bringing in, I'll keep coming back to it as long as they've got an equivalent role or something similar role. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to take a take a gamble on the on that player. So, yes, if Abbott was batting four and bowling, I'll tell you now, he'll be in my team. I won't be. I'll break even. Hey, we laugh about that, but there's a bloke, a teammate of his by the name of Hayden Kerr who, look, he's not as good as Sean Abbott is, but he can take a wicket and he's batted at about three or four in the past. So if that happens, get Hayden Kerr in your team. Big pre-season watch Hayden Kerr. Uh, if he can get promoted up the order a little bit, especially with Dan Christian retired. But a figure you mentioned there around team value, and I get a lot of questions about this, and they're quite hard to answer. But you said you aim to have a 2.5 million team value by round five. You mentioned that you're a bit of a numbers man. You like crunching them. 
is there method to this this madness to get into 2.5 mil? Is there any reason or is that just a figure that you like to sit on? Just the rough figure I like to sit on. And last year, I think I was at 2.6 mil um, after round five and it was I've never earned that much, had that big a team value ever. So um, it just depends how the season's unfolding. But I think if you've got those low break and even players, they tend to be players that are in form. I will... Once again, I look at the fixture, so I'm not going to bring in a break-even player for the low break-even player for just for the heck of it. I will. Yeah. He needs to have a good fixture coming up, and it fits with what I want. But I try and those first four or five rounds. That's what I'm trying to do. What worries me this year is I've only got nine rounds to get to the front. So yeah, short um, and sharp, that, isn't it? That, 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 that mightn't work this year. I don't know. It's going to be a different different thought process. It's a 950-metre dash at Mooney Valley this season, so you don't want to miss the, miss the jump. On that again, so you mentioned 2.6 million. My next question is probably around at what point, and there's no, I know already, there's no correct answer to this one exactly. I've been asked it plenty of times, but at what point your priority shifts from chasing that extra cash and the low break-evens to banking these proven guns in, in the team and, and the points that they're amassing? So... And I think we can use an example around your 2.5 million target by round five. You mentioned last year that you hit 2.6 by that time. At round five, when you're on 2.6 and you banked more money than you expected, is that when you started going, okay, I've got value, I can start chasing a few more of the guns rather than the cash? If you were at, say, 2.3 or 2.4 million, would you be sitting there going, okay, maybe I need one or two more cash grabs before I start chasing these out and out guns? Yeah, I've... I've come up with that figure just over the years of playing. I've found with my team values around that 2.5 million, I don't seem to have to worry about, I don't have to compromise on who I bring mm. in. It can seem to bring in anyone when your team values around that yeah. around that value. So that's how I've come up with it. So yes, if I was 2.3, 2.4, I reckon I'd still be making decisions to build that cash up. But if I can get to around that 2.5, more often than not, I can get my 11 on-field players, anyone I want. Yeah, and it's just deciding who those eleven are. That's the next challenge. So on that one, mate, we, we've spoken about double game weeks, the importance of fixtures, but one again that consistently plagues super coaches, and I'm sure you're no different. But I'd like to hear your thoughts behind it. And how do you decide whether to go a proven gun, someone like Maddie Short or a Dan Sams? that are playing on a single game week. Let's say you don't own one of them players in your team and they've got this great fixture coming up against a team that's struggling. Uh, or you go for a player on a double who's you know a proven cricketer, a proven super coach player, but not in that elite standard. Let's say someone like Mitch Swepson or maybe Chris Lynn, who there's a bit more risk around. Sam's is going nuts. you know, And you, you, you really want him in your team, but he's playing a single game week. Whereas the other pair, someone like Swepson or Lynn, They've got the double game week. Do you have any strong thoughts around that? And this is why I mentioned at the top of the segment, at the top of the Q and I should say that it's all circumstantial. So there's no hard um, answer. But what what are your thoughts there? It comes back to that start of the year when I do the fixture planning because mm. I'll know how many double game week players I want in my team each round. And so if I want a Sam's, I probably know I need one or two single game round players in my in my team. And if Sam's is in form and one of the best single game players out there, I'm going to want him in my team because I need to fill one or two or three spots. Mm -hmm. So 
comparing against a double round player, that's when it gets hard. And I think that's where some people come undone is they focus so hard on the double, even though I'm focusing on it, they're just looking at the yeah. numbers and I need to get... So they'll grab a risky double round player to bring into their team, whereas I'm not scared to, for example, trade a Daniel Sams out of my team to bring in a gun, to bring in a Matty Short on his double. Um, it sounds silly, I know, but it's like, well, I'd rather have a big player scoring twice and have a not very good player only scoring me one score than have a not very good player getting that score twice and just one good score. Um, I think I gave an example in the article, you know, 230s plus 60 is 120. If that's compared to 260s plus 30 is 150, you're better off. Um, I've heard people say before you shouldn't pick a game on a player in the double that you're not prepared to field in a single. And I sort of yeah. have that answer in the back of my head, yeah. So, so hopping back to, to the fixtures, and you mentioned at the start of yeah. the year that you work out how many double game week players you want in each round. So yeah. are you saying that week one, there's a ton of double game week players in your team, so you probably want close to 11. Uh, let's say there's another round where there's there's one team on the double game week. Have you notched down before the season and you go, I want two players for this because there's only one team on and then the following week, you'll already have pre-written down that there'll be three teams on the double, and due to that, you you want seven doubles. Is that how it works? Yep. And and I'll, I might look at those three teams, and that's where I've looked. Oh, they play each other, or, or they don't. Yeah. But in this other round, they don't play each other. So I might say, I'm actually going to focus on this round more because they're not playing each other compared to this round, and I'm prepared to go a few light. And and, mm. I, and I think a lot of people tend to focus on the next round or two, so their focus is always there and maximizing what's happening over the next round or two whereas i'm trying to look between whatever whenever now is and season end to maximize my players sometimes it catches me out because if you go too far in advance on a player they get injured or they get called up in the national team or it rains on the week that you really needed them you know (laughs) things can catch you out if you go too far in advance but that's what i'm trying to do is, is look at the season as a whole from that that point forward and um, because if I know I, I can get 20 double game round players between now and season's end, I don't have to have all 11 of them playing this round. I can decide because of the way the fixture is, I need four around for the next five rounds. I still get my 20. Mm. I've just weighted it differently to how someone else might do it. Yeah, so you're getting essentially the same amount of double game week players yeah. as other teams will get, but because you've planned ahead... You've got better players and better matchups, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and and it's easy to well, it's easy for me to work out. We only get three trades a week, or a round, sorry, and you can you can quickly work out how many you can have for the season because you can only bring three three new players in yeah. your team each round. So you just work around it. Yeah, love that, love that, and I uh, I will be hacking your computer for that that spreadsheet <laughs> before the season starts. Guys and girls, Paddy and George from Mortgage Choice SCW. They're back on deck for the upcoming summer of cricket with SC Playbook. They can help with a number of things from wedding finance to debt consolidation. But one of their biggest services is education, especially when it comes to first home buyers looking to get into the housing market. The boys have let me know that with the new financial year firmly in play at the moment, the government have released a heap of new incentives to make it so much easier for first home buyers to actually buy into their first home. If you want to know more about these and how much you can borrow in general, go and speak to them. Usually, it'd sting you $129 for a consult, but if you mention SC Playbook sent you, it's completely free of charge. 
So if you're sitting there right now, you're thinking about getting into the housing market down the track, you've got no idea what that entails, take that step, make it a reality, flick them a message on Instagram at patandgeorge underscore SCW, or you can call them on 02-9521-1611. Doesn't matter where you are in Australia. There's also emails and all that information in any of the articles at scpaybook.com.au. So jump in and get on to them today. Now, back to it, mate. Do you consider yourself a conservative supercoach player or are you someone who takes risks? Uh, yes, to both. <laughs> I, um, I usually try and – I'm not scared of taking a risk. I'll, I'll take, take a risk, but – I figure if I play conservatively, I can put myself in a position to take a risk. So mm. um, I think if you try and take too many risks too early, you can put yourself out of out of it too early. If you play a conservative game with the odd risk, you can probably keep yourself in the main pack. Then, like I did a couple of years ago, <laughs> I took that massive risk in the last round and it mm. paid off. That's only going to pay off once every now and then. Yeah. So, um, it's like, I guess, you know, people play the poker machines. They can win off their first spin, but if you keep keep pulling that, well, pushing that button, you're going to lose eventually, aren't you? Yeah. So, yeah. so to get a little bit more specific, pods, point of difference players. Again, first time super coaches out there, the word pod will be dropped about 14,000 times each podcast. That is a point of difference player. A, a player generally that is at very low ownership that no one else in, in super coach is willing to own. Do you see these pods with the intent to gain an advantage or do you feel the conservative approach of taking the obvious option has been more effective for you in the past? So do you sit there and go, okay, this bloke's at 2%, um, I can really gain a big advantage out of this. However, there's someone at 65% who the majority own. I do think they probably score more this week, but I see that the, the opportunity to go the point of difference there. Yeah, I'll usually base it around role. Mm. So if I see a player that, that's low ownership and you know they're scoring similarly to someone who's higher ownership and has a role but maybe the lower ownership player has a cheaper price or something like that i will i'm not scared to to have a crack and um i think often if it's bowlers if it's sorry players that bat and bowl that have those dual dual roles i think there's less (laughs) risk to go for a bit of a pod because um you know, ideally, if you want that player that bats top four and bowls, he's in your team because anyone, you know, they're getting two bites of the cherry to get all the points. But maybe that little bit lower bat five or six and they tend to bowl four overs, they're a good yep. all-rounder. I might take a punt on that sort of pod and just give them a go and see how, see what happens. But And the, the, what will usually lead me that way too, once again, coming back, I always play the fixture. It'll be because of the fixtures coming up. I'll feel that player's got a better upcoming lot of fixtures than the one I'm going to play against. So sticking to that and the pods, it comes into captaincy as well. So when you're picking your captains, do you look to go a little bit left field and go against the grain of the more popular captaincy options to get that advantage? Or is captain's an area where you, you know what? Uh, look, I think the the top scoring player of the round will be Matty Short. You know, if you make a prediction, like I think Matty Short gets his 90 this week. Or do you go, look, there's a bloke who's capable of doing that and more as well. If I was guessing, I'd say he only scores 60, but there's a big opportunity here to gain an advantage. How do you approach a captain's? Captains will depend how the match orders are going, but I will take more of a risk on a vice captain because of the loophole that we spoke earlier. So if the vice captain goes big, I know I can then bring my donut on field and get that score and will make them captain. Um, I just, but 
if a captain, if my vice captain fails, I'm probably a little bit more conservative with who the captain is. I choose. I choose someone who's probably got a, a higher floor. Might have a good ceiling, but it won't score low. Whereas the vice captain is someone that could score anything from zero to 120. Um, I'll take more of a risk. Um, when I looked back, I was looking earlier today back at my rounds last year, I nailed a lot of my vice captain solutions mm. and I didn't have to go for a captain, thankfully. But um, all those vice captains were the dual role players. You know, just if I'm looking through now, you know, there's Daniel Sams I've had in there, um, Shadab Khan, who was a bit of a pod <laughs> I had yeah. last year early on before people had him. Um, there, Hossein, Matty Short. So all those people at bat and bowl, um, yeah, were, were those vice-captain choices. Yeah. So so let's say around that, and it's a week where there's only there's only a handful of really gun captain shots. There might be two teams on the double. Let's say you've got Matty Short and you've got Glenn Maxwell. They're both in form. They're scoring huge in Supercoach. Uh, and they're the obvious, just, you know, 90% of decent Supercoaches will have the VC and the C on them. Yep. In that circumstance, are you sitting there going, okay, they're just the obvious ones, you take them? Or is that where you're going with your vice-captain? Everyone's doing it. Here's an opportunity for me to, to put a bit of a left-field vice-captaincy on with the security blanket of my safe captain to come. Yeah, so I I would, in an instance like that, where you've got two really good captain yep. options, um, I would probably take a bit of a risk with the vice-captain, Yeah, knowing I've got the fallback. Yeah. Um, yeah, that to me, that's worth a shot. But, you know, it, it depends what the round is too. I, I also take into consideration the, the match the matchups each round. So who are the teams in form? Who's not in form? Mm. Who's likely to win? Because as you make sense, winning te- players and winning teams in total are going to score more points. Um, so that comes into it. That was going to be my next question, mate, around teams and how big a role, you've just said it there, but it plays a big role in the way you select your team. And the way the way I see it is, you know, you might have a terrible team in there. They've got somewhat of a gun bowler and a gun super coach bowler. But as we know, if the batters are, are in all sorts, they're battling, they're not setting total, totals, they've got nothing to defend against, your opposition will tend just to see them off or they might not have the opportunity. The wicket-taking opportunities are limited. In recent years, I think if Rashid Khan and Adam Zampa We've both been very limited by, at times, playing teams that have struggled, so they've just seen them off. So strength of team plays a big role in your selection, regardless of the player that you're picking. Yeah, and um, the toss plays a big part in it too. So um, if you've got a your fast bowlers who bowl at the death, in my mind, they're going to do well when they bowl in the first innings because mm. often the team batting first does their full 20 overs. In the last over or two, they're just going hard swing, there's usually a wicket for nothing or two, you know. Whereas when those type of bowlers bowl in the second innings, the game could be over early because yeah. the scores got caught or the games turned out to be a fizzer and they're not going in that 19th, 20th over. So um, I might make a captain decision because I want that sort of player, but only I'm only going to make that decision if they're bowling first because I, I think that's where they get more points. That's, that's how I feel about it anyway. I yeah. Just, um, I have this theory that, Players do better in the first innings with their strength. So the good batters will do better when they bat first innings and the good bowlers will usually bowl better in the first innings compared to the second innings. So when you're talking about Matty Short and Glenn Maxwell before, if they were playing each other, it might come down to the toss, which way I go. Right. Yeah. Second innings, mate, that element of pressure, chasing a total, it's on, everyone gets nervous. But first innings, 
no, no, you're setting the way, not too bad. Uh, yeah. I, like that. I like that a lot. Um, uh, an interesting player for you to look up, and I've said to people before, is just look up Matty Wade's statistics in T20 when he bats first inning, second innings. He has a huge discrepancy in his averages. Right. There you go, mate. That's a, it's proved a me wrong last year. I avoided him when he scored that hundred. Um, yeah, on the small ground because he was batting second, and I thought, nah, I've got a winner over everyone here. And then he proved me wrong and got a hundred. But he still has a that's massive right. difference between his averages. Happens to the best of us, mate. Happens to the best of us. And um, keeping with uh, with that similar sort of area about digging deep about teams all these sorts of things. Uh, what about how how much you take into consideration elements such as the wicket they're playing on the deck, things like smaller boundaries you mentioned, what the outfield's doing, probably not as much as a big one, but deck, smaller boundaries, obviously big ones. Are these things you're looking at in, in terms of locations as well? Yeah, so I'll, I'll usually, um, yeah, I, I keep sort of keep in mind where they're playing and what previous results are like at that ground mm. um, and whether batters seem to do better or bowlers or spin bowlers or quicks. Um, I think that's all information that's helpful. As you know, it doesn't always come off, but I think, but I think it helps. It helps. You know, there's certain there's grounds. You know, teams batting second seem to always get the runs, and vice versa. Mm. Andrew, the absolute bane of our existence from December through to January is weather. There's a storm approaching the MCG. It might write the entire game off. Could evaporate before it hits the G. You get the full allotment of overs. How much of a consideration are you taking in with weather? I have taken it into before and then been proven to worry about nothing. Um, yeah. When you go back and look at it, very few games are affected by the weather. There's, um, it happens, so you can't say it doesn't happen, but I don't think it happens as often as we think it's going to happen. We get all worried, but they seem to squeeze these games in. I, I think if it's really not looking good but the game's looking like starting, uh, it helps to maybe have the opening batters of the team that's batting first or the, the the opening bowlers of the team that's batting second just to try and get those points before the game's washed out. But um, I'm like everyone, I've been undone trying to second-guess the weather. And you, you avoid players because you think it's going to be a washout and the full game goes oh. ahead and vice versa. It does your head in. But if you can avoid having the worry, once again, if you've thinking of a few players that round who to bring in and one of them is someone where you don't have to worry about the weather in that match, maybe go for them and <laughs> don't worry about the others. Yeah. Just, you know. Mate, every year I just sit there watching the radar, watching the radar, you know, be out at a nice dinner, out at a nice dinner with the partner, I'm sitting there watching the radar. They say, what are you doing? I'm like, just don't ask, don't ask. <laughs> Mate. Sydney. Right. up Sydney and Brisbane. It's always up there. I know, the rain comes at night time. <laughs> but worse than rain, storms, storms during summer. Rain, you know it's going to hit storms. They could terrorise the ground and call it off or they could just disband before they hit their, you know, 100 metres before yeah. the open. The whole game's played it, mate. I, I like your advice. <laughs> Don't stress too much. Uh, I will wrap this up with one more question, and it's one that I've been thinking about for, oh, let's say the last nine, ten months. And it's the role of soul batters in Supercoach. And, and I'd love to get your take on them because we know that in Supercoach, you want the all-rounders. They're the best players. We know you mentioned in your article that bowlers score 60% of points, batters score 40. So bowlers are probably a bit safer than batters, generally speaking. And if you can get both, happy days. And it's all role dependent. But we do still have to pick, I think, five starting batters 
and there'll be weeks where there aren't all-rounders available or they're not on the doubles, whatever it might be. And each and every year, I just find myself getting more and more frustrated with these sole batters in my team. In recent years, I think of McDermott last year who just couldn't get it off the off the square. Stoinis for a couple of years now has been starting but 80K and you think he's got to come good. He doesn't, especially if he hasn't been bowling in, in that all-rounder role. What role do sole batters play in Supergrass year? Because this year I'm just thinking about trying to avoid them at all costs. Uh, we, we know that like they're, they're great opportunities to maybe get a decent batter early in the round as that loophole opportunity. But far out, every year I play this game, I find it harder to justify getting a sole batsman in with that being their only role in the team. Um, my rule is wicket keepers. If they're a wicket mm. keeper and they bat top three, I'll take that sole batter because there's usually okay. an extra 10 to 15 points in fielding points for a wicket keeper on average. Um, so you've at least got that. Something. Point. But probably more often than not, I try and avoid them um, unless they're on a double. I'm willing to have a go on the double because they get two chances to have a bat and you just hope one of those one of those comes off. Oh. There's nothing worse than you bring in a batter and they just go out to some blinder of a catch or stupid shot, two balls into their innings and it's all gone. It's a killer. Yeah. Uh, anyway, mate, we'll we'll wrap that up for the first SC Playbook podcast of the season. I say the plan, not the plan, the plan, we will get a weekly podcast out each and every week. Might even double up some weeks if you're a little bit excited. We've got a bit to get through. I know uh, I know the spies itching at the, chomping at the bit, I should say, to get on and have a few thoughts as well. So uh, we will wrap that up. Andrew, very excited to have you on board this season. Thank you for your, you're not debut Playbook podcast, but your first debut podcast as a contributor. Great. Thanks for having me, and I'm really looking forward to this year. It should be a lot of fun. Cheers, mate. We'll be back each week. Speak to you next week. Cheers.